0: To the DNVR Buffs Podcast, presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm. This was a wild day. Um, in terms of like actual signing day, not much for surprises. You know, we talked. Do we? T- we didn't talk too much about it. I wrote about it, so all you subscribers kind of had a good idea of what was going on. Um, might as well say right now, there's a gift box from DMVR. You get shirts. You get a subscription. It's the best present that you can give a Colorado sports fan. And uh, you should definitely check that out or even just buy one for yourself if you're interested in reading the things that I write, which I hope that you are. But now that's out of the way. Um, Today, like I said, there wasn't too much of a surprise. There were a couple of really big names who had Colorado on their short lists, but we knew the odds were slim that the bus are going to land them and the bus didn't land them. Um, they did lose Kenny Soares, the inside linebacker. Uh, it's it's a tough break for sure. Uh, he was one of their better prospects. They also poached a wide receiver uh, from Fairview High School, actually, in Boulder. And according to Brian Howell, he's like the fourth Buffalo to come from Boulder in 20 years. Something like that, which is kind of crazy to think about. But Grant Page is coming to Colorado. Um, so so there was an addition there. I think if, if you were to look at the 24-7 ratings, Kenny Soares was like a point eight six something and Paige was like a .85-something. And so technically they lost a little bit. But, I mean, we we know the state of Colorado football. We know that they don't have most of their coaching staff figured out. Um, and and there, there are plenty of reasons to think that there might have been more student athletes who decided to go to other schools and decommit from Colorado. Didn't happen though. And that's obviously a very good sign. We'll talk about some of these guys who signed. Um, and uh, I, I mean, we're going to do a lot of things. I don't, this has been a busy day, as I'm sure you guys could imagine. I was up in Boulder really early. I uh, went to basketball practice uh, talk to Lawson Lovering and Julian Hammond after practice. We won't dig into that today. We'll dig into that tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that for sure. Um, got to hang out in the arena, watch some of the women's practice too. They are really good and that is really fun. Um, and then after that, you know, we're watching like the signing day show. If you guys didn't watch that, you guys should go back and watch. It's on like the Colorado Buffaloes um youtube page there's two of them i can't remember if it was buffs tv or the other one uh, you can find it though it was good they had like a seven minute video uh, with darian hagan talking about his recruitment going back at home they told a crazy story about uh, gary barnett almost getting shot like there was a drive by and the bullet just flew over his head while he was i think it's in compton right where hagan grew up but, but a whole bunch of really cool stuff in there phil Lindsay's in there um you get to hear from a bunch of these new buffs. It was really well done, so definitely check that. After you listen to my podcast, go check that out. Um, But watch some of that. Uh, Went up to the uh, press conference with Carl Durrell, of course. And uh, it was an interesting one. Um, He snapped at Brian Howell. He did snap at Brian Howell a little bit. Um, Didn't really want to talk about the some of like who's still on the team who's leaving the program um it's kind of an interesting moment I'm sure you can find that on YouTube too after again go to YouTube after you listen to me this is I promise the good stuff I'm giving you all the important notes um but yeah so that's let's actually start with what Carl Durrell had to say and there was a lot of it as I'm sure you could imagine talked about some of the players and some of that sort of stuff at the same time, though, I, I want to dig into one of the things that he brought up, and that is this. He, he was a little bit more vague about it for the most part, but time and time again, we've hear, heard him talk about how the transfer portal is whatever. It's, it's basically going to start free agency. It's going to create imbalances, all these different things. One of the key points from Carl has always been the differences in rules in different states. So the big one is that in Colorado the schools cannot help student athletes get NIL deals. So they can't they can't be like a little bit of a go between between a business and a student athlete. What they have to do is say okay you guys can go do it and we have to like approve it and get the paperwork and stuff, but we can't help you figure out who to to bring in, or or if you're on the business side and and what opportunities are out there for student athletes. This, to me, is the—it's not the biggest problem facing CU when it comes to recruiting. I mean, the biggest problem facing CU when it comes to recruiting is the fact that they don't win games. Um, You look through the last decade, and they haven't been as successful as you uh, obviously would have liked. And when you aren't successful, you don't get the same prospects that Georgia and Bama and all those types of schools do. Um, probably the second biggest problem, and maybe maybe this is the number one problem, is that you know there, there's talent in Colorado. There's plenty of talent in Colorado. It's not Southern California or Texas or the South or anything like that, though. You know, it's 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 solid. But it's nothing special. So when you combine those two things, it just makes it tough to recruit. The biggest problem, though, that that is fixable, I guess winning is fixable, but that's kind of a long-term thing, um, is the fact that the schools can't help get NIL deals. Because you look at how recruiting is going. I mean, what's the big story of today? Big story of today, the number one player in the country, a cornerback, is committed to Florida State. He's going to stay home. He's going to play at Florida State. Well, guess what? He's going to Jackson State because Barstool offered him a million and a half dollars to go to Jackson State and play with Deion Sanders. And they're going to have him do whatever else. Um, But the deal was the deal, and he took the money. Now, that's obviously the most extreme example out there, but the point is those extreme examples are out there. There's plenty of levels of examples, and even if it isn't saying, hey, go here because we'll give you money, what you can do is, if you're a recruiter for Colorado is say, hey, I coach the running backs, for example. We'll keep talking about Darian Hagan. And my running backs, the starting running back on average, he makes 50 grand. The, the other guys, they average about 10 grand a piece. And I'm not sure if those numbers are ever attainable for Colorado, but just as an example, you throw that out there. What happens right now, though, is that those numbers aren't nearly as high because the schools can't do the business side of things for their student-athletes. And to be honest, I think it's pretty much just a straight-up bad rule. You know, it's a rule that I would understand if it was coming from a national level or like the the federal government says this or the NCAA says this or whatever because I do think that you're opening a can of worms. um, You do make it a little bit easier for... I don't want to say that it's corruption, but for universities to say, hey, you want to give us this money? Just give it to somebody in an NIL deal. And then, and that's okay. If, if, whatever, Crocs wants to donate money to CU, then CU can step in and say, hey, let us work with the you, work with student-athletes, and let's just use the money that way instead of you know, putting iPads in lockers. CU hasn't done that, by the way. And I know that when you hear that kind of thing, it's like, yeah, so you're losing a little bit at the margins. Let me tell you, just straight up, this is a serious problem, and that money is there. I th- I think that if you make a change, not, not from Crocs, I shouldn't say those two things next to each other, I don't know that it's from Crocs, but I will say that if this if this law gets changed which again would be so easy to do it would be so easy to do then it pretty quickly you would see the the impact of it and we all know that NIL is driving everything and again like I get it if it's a federal law and and you just want to say okay there's whatever going on and or the NCAA says we just don't want this to be a part of it because we think it creates unfair advantages. If, if a student athlete can go out there and figure it out themselves, then sure. Because I, I, I think they would have a strong case if that's what they wanted to do. But when things are working like the Wild West, which is what's happening with the NIL situation, why, as a legislator in Colorado, would you say, you know what, we should make it tougher for the school to recruit by saying that they can't help get student athletes money? You're hurting the student athletes. You're hurting the athletics programs, and you're not helping anybody. Like, sure, there there could be a, be competitive issues, but competitions aren't happening within this state. You have Colorado, you have Colorado State and Air Force, and that means what? One or two games a year. One for Colorado, and and that's typically like a basketball game, and every two of every four years, or whatever. They have football games too. You're competing nationally. And when everybody else is playing by a different set of rules, somebody is going to fall behind. And it's very clear that it's Colorado falling behind. And if this change could be made, that money is out there. That money is out there. And I think that that is something that, you know, again, there's there's a lot of things that you really can't change. And that's just kind of the nature of being a college sports fan or a sports fan in general, you know, if if you think Rick George made a bad decision hiring somebody, or you think that the the Regents are being really dumb by not giving out contracts to coaches or or whatever, or you think Darren Cheverini called a dumb play, you you can't say, okay, Darren, go go change that play. Don't do this anymore. That's not how that works. You can be kind of loud on, on Twitter and that, and maybe that kind of gets back to people, but but you really just don't have any power. When it comes to laws, though, and isn't that kind of like how America works, as people are saying, how the laws work? And I do think that this is something that will be addressed in the near future. I mean, Carl basically said so that bluntly, again, without getting into some of the nitty-gritty of all this, but you wanna you want to help Colorado, there's plenty of phone numbers to call uh so i'll throw that out there um we can move along though because that was 12 minutes on one thing that is it's not tangentially related to signing day it is related to recruiting and all of that um but not as related to some other things but let's keep going through some of these things that carl said today this is not signing day related but it is uh, bus related um Offensive coordinator situation, and this was probably the most interesting answer of the day in my eyes. He brought up, and and, you know, actually, it's a pretty good quote. Um, So I'm going to pull that up. But Carl said, oh, where is it? I thought that this would be so much simpler, but it wasn't. There we go. He said, I do hire good coaches. I'm not saying that to be arrogant about it, but I put a lot of thought into it. And basically said, like, I build good staffs. Look at where I go. I build good staffs. He brought up a UCLA staff, um, a staff that had Tom Cable, Jane Orvell. I'm pretty sure Kyle Shanahan might have been on that staff too. Don't quote me on that one. That might have not have been the year. But I really think it was. Um, but the point is six of his nine assistant coaches left for the NFL after the season. And he says that left him with a, a lack of talent among his coaches um, because it's just so hard to replace that many, and he learned from that. What he learned was young coaches who just want to leave in a season to go to the NFL or do whatever, what he said, I'm pretty sure, is that doesn't help me. And so uh, he he said that he is not looking for those sorts of young coaches who are trying to get to the NFL um, at this point, which is interesting. Um, it's really interesting. Because we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but I really think that the strength for Carl should be the, the 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 ability to build a coaching staff. And I understand that, like, you know, you say, I build really good staffs. I hire good coaches. Yeah, you, you hired Mitch Rodriguez, And I'm not going to say that that's not a valid point. That is a very valid point and something that is very, very true and is a major knock against Carl Durrell. Absolutely. I'd also point out that you know, hiring—I don't know—it's one of those things where, like, if you're Nick Saban and you're hiring an offensive coordinator, that might be the easiest, easiest degree of difficulty in terms of coaching searches. Because just about anybody who isn't getting head coach jobs, um, anybody who isn't—you know—a year away from getting head coach jobs, they don't want to leave their current offensive coordinator position. They're going to come and do that job for a variety of reasons first of all it's Alabama and there's a track record of success and it's Nick Saban and you have so much talent there it's so easy to to succeed in that role you you see where people have moved on to better jobs Um, so everybody wants that job on top of that you're going to be able to offer a whole bunch of money and so you whatever the the degree of difficulty for Nick Saban to fill the offensive coordinator job is incredibly low incredibly low for Carl Durell to hire an offensive line coach um, with, with a limited budget because of, I guess that was pre COVID, but I mean still limited budget because you're the university of Colorado. um, And to do that in February or was that one in March, the degree of difficulty on that is very high. Now that doesn't mean that he didn't fail. He very, very clearly failed and I don't want to give too many excuses, um, but it's it's like, let's use a high jump reference. Um, he definitely didn't jump over the bar, but it was like a, a six foot bar instead of a five foot bar. And that doesn't really make it any better. Like the results are the results and you hired a coach who didn't work out and all that. And that's why it's very valid to say, yeah, you're saying all these things. Then you just hired Mitch Rodrigue um for sure, but in Carl's defense, you can deflect like ten percent of that comment by saying, "Yeah, you know it was March and all that um, so I'll throw that out there too. I don't know why that was worth the time though um the point is he is he has a type that he is looking for, and he says that he's going to Hopefully, get this figured out by the end of the week. They are narrowing it down, zoning in or whatever on a candidate. And he, uh, I think he said that there are three that are on the table right now and he's going to pick one. And, you know, I don't think that it's going to be some 30 year old up and comer because I don't think that he wants to see a 31 year old up and comer leave a year from now. I also have talked to Carl in the past. When was this? This would have been when he was building his initial staff and and at Colorado. And I asked him whether he tries to find a balance between youth and experience on coaching staffs. And he says he does. He thinks that there's, you, first of all, you just need that. But the big thing is he's trying to give people the, the opportunity, like figure out who deserves to take this next step in their career. Um, for example, Chris Wilson, Chris Wilson, in Carl Durrell's eyes, deserved a chance to be a defensive coordinator. I'm pretty sure, I mean, that's something he's done in the past, Um, but it was time for him to to get that opportunity again. And so he said, yes, you get that. And when you're saying who deserves the opportunity to be uh, a cornerbacks coach, well, typically that's a younger guy. Not always, but a lot of times. And so I do think that he is looking for that blend of new and old, but I also think that he is fairly confident that at the University of Colorado, having some stability at those coordinator positions, especially at this point, is very valuable. And maybe you bring in, you know, Taylor Embry, for example, Brian Michalowski, for example, um, for some of these position coaching jobs, and because they'll also help with recruiting, but you really do want to have that stability. Now, that's not always true. You know, you look at Alabama and say, they cycle through coordinators every year. It's like, yeah. Because I mean for a couple of reasons. First of all, you have Nick Saban, you're doing just fine recruiting. You have your pick of any coordinator you want if your guy leaves. You probably have a bunch of really good in-house candidates and in general it's just a healthy program. When you're in the situation Colorado's in, I think that to build something, you can't be saying, Oh, every two years we change who's running the offense. You gotta figure it out. And and I mean, I definitely think Carl thinks that. And I think he won me over, too. Um, So that was an interesting answer, I thought. And I I love that we finally got to hear from Carl Durrell for the first time since right after that Utah game. Uh, He canceled his postseason press conference because he had to go do recruiting. Again, I don't want to, like, rag on the guy for that, but it is... At some point, like, you do need people to talk about you, right? Like, I... Whatever. Um, What else did Carl have to say? Let's just go through some of these quotes. Um, She did say, uh, and these are some of the things that he kind of snapped at Brian out, which I thought was weird. But Max Ray is leaving the program. He has some health issues, some neck things. No update on Carson Lee. Investigation still going. Chance Lytle is going to be back. Colby Purcell is not going to be back. So there's a little bit of an offensive line update. Um, he also said that, here's a quote, this to me felt like my first recruiting class. With the, the point being that last year's class, yeah, we recruited them, but we didn't get to have them on campus. We didn't get to go to their houses. They said like most of those guys had never been to Boulder until they were there like moving in. Um, same thing with their families. They hadn't met any of their families. Most of their families hadn't been to Boulder until they're moving their kids in. And it's just a weird thing. And he said that he thinks that it was really valuable for Colorado to be able to make those home visits, and that the, the, he thinks that that paid off um, in terms of the I mean, just the the recruiting class. Um, Okie Salavea. Salovey, I, I can never remember it. But Oki, uh, the son of a great Buffalo, uh, committed to Colorado, signed with Colorado today. We'll talk more about some of these guys individually in a couple minutes. But because Durrell brought this up, um, Oki played mostly quarterback in high school, in America, American Samoa, but Carl said like he's going to play some quarterback this spring. We might even start him there, um, but but he can play safety. He can play edge. He can block kicks. He can block punts. He can do all sorts of different things. And So they're just going to move him around and figure out where he fits. Actually, Oki was the only athlete that was signed. So you know you get the athlete designation if you didn't sign to play a specific position. You know Some people are quarterbacks. Some are safeties. Some are athlete, which means get on campus and we'll figure it out. Another note on the coordinator search. Carl said that, like, obviously, as a former receivers coach, he wants to throw the ball. Like, he, he loves throwing the ball, but he's not going to get too aggressive with it. He wants to make sure that they have balance. Um, and that finding that sort of balance um, has been a major factor in choosing an offensive coordinator. He said, ideally, he wants 30 to 35 passes and 20 to 25 runs per game on average. Uh, so. First of all, those numbers are a little bit low, and I think that they're low because they add up more to what happens in NFL games than in college games. And I think that that's probably like a philosophical thing, something that he's known or somebody taught to him or whatever, um, that, that 30 to 35 and 20 to 25 is kind of the, 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 the good target. So because of that, I think that that's why I threw those numbers out and you can just kind of use those proportions and get them up to the 80-85 or whatever that happen in college games. Um, maybe a little bit more pass-heavy than I would have thought, but interesting note there for sure. He um, mentioned that he likes the running backs. He thinks they probably have enough running backs, but he's hoping to gain another running back. Um, wanted to see if, uh, if they could add about two more offensive linemen as well um they're still adding guys still still adding guys in the 2022 like freshman class still adding some transfers um and he did say we feel that the first part of this class is exactly what we're looking for um and those will be good enough for the notes real quick want to remind you guys breckenridge brewery makes all of this possible they do so much for us more than you guys could even imagine they sponsor this podcast. They give us free beers to do tailgates. Um, they 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 do all sorts of things for us, and so the least we can do is help them out too. And that's what I'm doing right now. And that's what you're going to do when you go and pick up some Christmas ale. And not only will you be helping Breckenridge Brewery out, helping me and DNVR out, but you'll also be helping your family out because when you bring that to a holiday party or whatever, you're going to be everybody's favorite. You can get it in like bottles. You can get it... In the mini keg, obviously one of those options is way more fun than the other. So go get that mini keg. You can pick it up wherever you go. Um, Whether well, it's liquor stores, grocery stores, whatever. You will not be disappointed. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook. They do a bunch of stuff for us too. And so we want to hype them up a little bit as well. Um, DraftKings is... It's reliable. It's easy to withdraw your money, to deposit with money. Um, I prefer the withdrawals a little bit more than the deposits. And again, you just can't go wrong. They're an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They have great odds. They have great promotions. You can get boosts just about every day that, that you get to control. It's not just on things that they choose. I think easily the best sportsbook app out there um check them out and if you bet on any nfl game this week use the code dmvr if you're a first time user and you will get 100 dollars in free bets if you bet a dollar on a team to score a point and they score a point it's an awesome promotion and like i said like just cannot recommend them enough so definitely get in on all of that must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Um, let's just run through this class real quick. So like I said, there weren't a whole lot of surprises. There was a chance that they were going to pull that uh, outside linebacker. There was a chance they were going to pull that running back. Neither of those two things happened. Um, for the most part, you just kind of got who you expected to get. Um, still, not a bad class. Uh, it ranks as the number six class in the Pac-12, which is partly due to the fact that only one other sc- or one school has more players committed in this class. Um, and and the way that the 24/7 Sports Composite works is you take all of the rankings from all the players and just add them together. So if you get a uh, you get a whatever, you get a whatever, you get a whatever. I think actually it's not quite that simple. They don't just have to get, but that's basically how it works. And you do get points for having more players. When you look at the average rating of their players, the average rating is 10th in the Pac-12. And I think that it's really easy to pick a number and run with it, whether it's the 6, whether it's the 10, and obviously that's a pretty big difference. What I think is important to note is that you're probably going to wind up with the same number of good players if you have a small class of good recruits or a big class of lower-rated recruits. Um, And so that's why the ratings kind of work out like they do. Colorado did bring in a pretty big class in comparison to the rest of the Pac-12. There have actually only been two classes in the previous 20 years that were smaller than this year's 19 recruits from Colorado which I think is an interesting note. You just see schools like USC or whatever have six commitments right now. Um just just strange stuff going on like that. And I'm not sure if that's because of coaching changes because of the transfer portal they're just going to see if they can get some of those guys, but in terms of big picture, that's what we've got. Um that that number 10 um in the pack 12 in terms of average rating i actually saw on twitter today this is coming from accounting nerd on twitter um but in the last what is this nine years they've only had one class with a higher average rating for its commits and uh That one year, of course, was the Mel Tucker recruiting class, which had a .8563 rating um, compared to the .8542, so not even that big of a difference. Again, it's easy to bash on the recruiting class. I know people aren't thrilled with where the program is right now. All things considered, I think it went pretty well. Um, And and that's kind of my big picture thought. I think it went pretty well. Uh, When we get into the details, we see some interesting trends, I think, Um, Things like they only brought in two offensive linemen, both tackles, and they only brought in one defensive lineman. Now, there's potentially different reasons for these things. I think that a big one could be that uh, they have young players in the trenches that they're waiting to develop. And instead of going after more young players, they want to get more guys who can play right now. Um, And, I mean, there's a chance that that's what's going on. There's a chance that they just didn't land, the guys that they wanted to land. Um, But I did, probably coming into this, expect to see more work in the trenches than we saw. Also worth noting that, you know, Carter Edwards is the the top trench player, and he's, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 in the composite ranking out of the 18 that they have listed here. I'm not sure who's missing, but number 10 there. Um, and then you've got um, number 12 is the defensive lineman and you've got uh, Travis Gray with only three lower than him so it's not like they're bringing the top level talent the top level talent that they bring in is mostly at the linebacker position I think that's probably what stands out the most with Aubrey Smith like a true inside linebacker a guy who has the instincts inside but also the athleticism to be a sideline to sideline or cover type of linebacker he might be the most exciting player in this class. Uh, I wouldn't blame you if you chose him. But he's the number two player in the class. They bring in Owen Carey, who flipped his commitment from Texas very recently um, out of Matter Day in California. Um, he is the number four player in the class. He's an edge rusher, outside linebacker. And from there. Um, oh, I forgot. Actually, they do have another linebacker, Chacon Bowser, who is a commitment, but he is not signing or didn't sign today. He's likely going to sign... I mean, he he's either going to sign at the next signing day or he's going to flip his commitment. I haven't heard any reason to be concerned about him flipping commitment. I think he's just waiting and whatever. But But when he does commit... He will actually be the. He'll be right behind Owen Carey. That's how you say that, by the way. You might have seen this name going around. E O G H A N, Owen Carey. So, um, so the, so the linebacker is probably the strength here. Top recruit according to the composite, Dylan Dixon. Um, he's a safety, 6'2", 190 out of Texas. A lot of guys from Texas. Uh, this is like maybe the most in the last ten years out of Texas. It might even be more than that. I think it goes back to Gary Barnett's. I think it's Gary Barnett's two seasons back-to-back he did one the same and one more um number three commit is owen mccown we've talked about him before six one and a half 175 a little bit small but i think he threw 36 touchdowns and four interceptions in texas last season um over 3600 passing yards Uh, He's ranked currently as the number 48 quarterback in the country, uh, son of Josh McCown. I think he'd be up a little bit higher if he hadn't committed to Colorado so soon because he would have continued to get offers. But when you commit and say, I'm not even interested if you want to call me, then there's no reason for teams to say, Hey, spend an hour talking with this kid because we want to win him over. You're not going to win him over. There's no reason to do it. And so, That offer sheet, I think, probably impacts these ratings more than it should. Um, I mentioned Grant Page, who flipped his commitment as a wide receiver from uh, Can or from. Sorry, I got a tweet about Kentucky, um, but from Nebraska to Colorado. He is a part of a really good receiving class. You've got Jordan Tyson who's exciting, 6 foot 170, a little bit small receiver, but you've also got just a monster in Chase Sowell, who is new. He I think visited in the last couple of weeks and committed in the last I think it was last night he committed, signed today. He's toward the bottom of the recruiting class, but 6 foot 2, a big body guy. They're stacked at receiver. And you really only need, like, one of these guys to hit. They bring in three. Um, Yeah, what else? Uh, Three corners brought in, maybe a little bit heavier than I would have expected. Again, we've seen who's going to come for most of this for weeks. Um, But when you look at this group, I guess, in theory, Christian Gonzalez is probably gone after this season. Makai Blackman's probably gone this season, or after this season. And so, it's not like you have too much of a long-term plan. You just also have Nico Reed and Tyron Taylor, who's been playing more safety recently, but I think he's more of a corner in my opinion. Um, you've got, uh, oh, who's the other one? Oh, I talked to him. I can picture him. Kaelin Moore um, is the other one. So you had three true freshmen, um, three true freshmen on uh, your opening day depth chart, your top six corners, And so three seemed kind of heavy. At the same time, if there's three you like, bring them in because you are going to lose a couple um, after this season. Um, Victor Venn is the running back they're bringing in. Very small. Actually, teammates with Aubrey Smith, the linebacker who I'm really excited about. I'm excited about a couple of the linebackers. But the number two recruit, the guy who could be kind of the next Nate Landman for this program, Um, high standard. Be obviously, but but they are actually high school teammates at Buford High School in Buford, Georgia. Both come out here. Victor Venn listed 59175. I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. you know the fact that Carl says they're looking at more running backs. I think that that always makes sense. That's a place where, I mean, yeah, you're excited about Dion Smith. You're excited about Joe Davis, all this stuff. Also, if there's somebody who you say, hey, that there's a guy right there, and he is just a number one back, and we can get him, you're not too worried about losing one of those guys, because running backs are pretty replaceable. You should be able to find them in the portal. You should be able to uh, recruit some of them, or at least they have done well in the past. Um, I think that that's basically my thoughts on this class, overall good class, overall good class, and... I think it's especially good if you factor in what expectations were. Um, Carl Durrell, not known as a recruiter, but I think he held his own. I don't think you look at this and say, oh, wow, this is this is a class that puts him over the top. They're now competing with Oregon and all them. No. But when you remember that this team is playing in the world that it's playing in, and it's losing... So too many games for a Power Five team over the course of the last decade or whatever, you're you're expecting to be toward the bottom, and the fact that you can make an argument. I mean, what it's ranked sixth in the Pac-12, that's solid. Got to build from there. Got to coach these guys up, and again, the ratings don't really matter. The ratings don't matter. What matters is what they are as football players. We'll see what they are as football players over the course of the next few years. Um, Good signs out of Nico Reed and Kalen Moore and Tyron Taylor and Trevor Woods and Cole Becker and all them last year. Um, They need to grow for that to become a good class. These guys need to prove something for this to be a good class. Good day, though. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow probably talking some basketball. I'll Actually, I mean, it'll probably be a split, I guess. Maybe some more signing day talk because I'm going to have some more thoughts over the course of tonight. Um, and then we 'll uh talk about basketball too maybe play one of these interviews again talk to Lawson Love and Julian Hammond today they were they were great got a bunch of good stuff out of them so that's it we'll see you then.